Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 18th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. A new WCAB panel decision ruled that an employer must find a physician who will treat the injured worker. Here's what happened in the case of Carmen Rodriguez versus Pea Soup Anderson's Best Western. Back in 2000, applicant was awarded 100% permanent disability and further medical treatment. The state fund provided medical treatment through approximately October 2008 when they were notified that her PTP, Dr. Donor, was no longer treating patients. Much of the evidence at trial showed the difficulty the state fund had attempting to find her a new treating physician. Dr. Donor's office referred the state fund adjuster to Dr. Peter's office. Dr. Peter's office said they would only treat established workers' compensation patients and told the state fund adjuster to try Dr. Beckman's office. Dr. Beckman's office said they do not accept workers' compensation patients and told the adjuster to try Buellton Medical. Buellton Medical indicated they might take the case, but declined to do so after reviewing the records. The adjuster then contacted Dr. Bohe of Industrial Medical, who indicated they would make a decision after they reviewed the last two years of medical reports. On the same day, the adjuster spoke with the office of Dr. Lee, who was identified as applicant's primary physician through Medicare. Dr. Lee's office does not treat workers' compensation patients, but claimed their facility in Arroyo Grande does if applicant was interested in driving to that location. The adjuster then tried Dr. Scherer's office in Santa Barbara, then four internists on the MPN list, and none would take the case. And then the adjuster spoke with Sansum Occupational Med, who also refused to take the case after reviewing applicant's medical information. Applicant's attorney, William Herreras, also attempted unsuccessfully to find an internist to treat his client. Applicant then filed a DOR together with a petition for Section 5814 penalties and Section 5814.5 attorney fees. After the trial, which showed all the efforts expended attempting to find a new doctor, the work comp judge issued a finding of fact which determined that defendant had made adequate attempts to provide medical treatment and that attorney Herreras was not entitled to penalties or an attorney's fee. On reconsideration, the WCAB noted that under the 2006 Unbank Knight versus United Parcel Service case, the failure of an employer to provide an MPN with physicians who will provide treatment allows an applicant to obtain treatment outside the MPN. The WCAB held, however, that Knight did not state that if a defendant breaches its duties under the MPN, the onus is entirely on the employee to find a treating physician outside the MPN, or that the defendant no longer has the affirmative duty to take the initiative and be active in investigating and offering treatment. Here, the defendant has an affirmative duty to find a treating physician. However, the WCAB said there is no basis for Section 5814 penalties. The state fund has clearly made reasonable efforts to find a treating physician. The findings were rescinded and the matter was remanded for further proceedings, and the parties were strongly encouraged to work together to resolve this problem expeditiously. And now our fraud report. Dr. Alexander Popov of Los Angeles 
Dr. Ramathan Prakash of Northridge and Dr. Lana Licharbrier of Santa Barbara have been convicted of health care fraud-related charges. The guilty verdicts were returned by a federal jury in Sacramento after a month-long trial. Prosecutors claimed that Varghese Egazarian of Panorama City owned and controlled three healthcare clinics located in Sacramento, Richmond, and Carmichael. Egazarian and others recruited doctors to submit applications to Medicare to obtain provider numbers. These doctors would assume the role of owners and practitioners at the clinics, and claims would be submitted to Medicare under their names for medical services. Popoff and Prakash fulfilled this role for the Sacramento Clinic and Lechambrier did the same for the Richmond Clinic. In fact, these doctors never treated patients at their respective clinics. Clinic patients, almost all of whom were elderly and non-English speaking, were recruited and transported to the clinics by individuals who were paid according to the number of patients they brought to the facilities. The patients were paid for their time and the use of their Medicare eligibility generally in the amount of $100 per visit. Phony charts were created stating that each patient received comprehensive exams and a broad array of diagnostic tests. In fact, few of these tests were ever performed and none were performed based upon any medical need. Clinic employees filled out other portions of the charts using pre-printed templates. Patient files were then transported to Southern California where the three doctors would sign them. The three clinics submitted more than $5 million worth of fraudulent claims to Medicare, $1.7 million of which was actually paid. In return for their roles, Popoff, Prakish, and Lachambrier each received 20% of the billings paid under their respective provider numbers. Two other physicians involved with the clinics, Saul Teitelbaum and Emilio Cruz, have been indicted for their roles. Their whereabouts are unknown. Agazarian, the clinic owner, previously pled guilty in this case and is currently serving 78 months in prison. A federal grand jury in San Jose indicted Edward G. Kluge of Knightston, California and Geringer Kyron Mond of San Jose, California, for multiple counts of health care fraud-related charges. Mond was additionally charged with two counts of obstruction of a criminal investigation. Mr. Kluge was the owner and pharmacist at Easy Step Incorporated, a pharmacy and durable equipment supplier once located in San Jose, California. Ms. Mond was an employee at Easy Step. According to the indictment, Kluge and Ms. Mond defrauded Medicare, Medi-Cal, and privately sponsored health care benefit programs by submitting claims that falsely represented that Easy Step provided pharmaceutical items and services. The 43-count indictment alleges they made false claims in a variety of ways, including seeking reimbursement by forging physician signatures, fabricating prescriptions, and durable equipment orders altering valid prescriptions, and forging patient signatures on delivery forms. The prosecution is a result of a joint four-year investigation by the FBI and other federal agencies. Officer Joseph Caceres, a 22-year veteran of the LAPD who is assigned to Rampart Patrol Division, was arrested for prescription fraud. Caceres was indicted by a grand jury on nine counts. 
Investigators established probable cause to believe that Caceres had engaged in doctor shopping and fraudulently obtained narcotic prescription medications. Caceres surrendered to agents from the California Department of Justice, Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement, and to investigators from LAPD's Special Operations Division Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit. He was then booked at the Los Angeles County Men's Central Jail and is held in lieu of $20,000 bail. Casares was placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of both the criminal and administrative investigations. And in medical news, the state compensation insurance fund has drawn intense criticism over its newly implemented medical provider network contract. The fund has stood by the recent changes saying patients will benefit from the contract revisions, all of which it says were made following state law. However, the California Society of Industrial Medicine and Surgery and the California Applicants Attorneys Association say the contract is fraught with legal deficiencies and ethical issues that pose harm to employees. CSIMS, which represents doctors who treat workers' compensation patients, described the state fund MPN contract as heavy-handed, an attempt at contract medicine. Among its controversial provisions, the state fund MPN contract imposes limits on physicians' prescribing abilities. The contract, for instance, requires physicians to limit prescriptions for opioid medications to 60-day supplies unless they can show cause for a prolonged regimen. CSIMS charged that such limitations potentially run roughshod over tenets of California's statutory pain patients' bill of rights. Physicians can be removed from the state fund MPN for violating these rules. In mid-June, State Fund sent the contracts to doctors in its network. Signed provider contracts were due back by June 30th. This afforded physicians about two weeks to make a decision. The California Applicants Attorneys Association has called on the DWC to quash the contract revision under their network oversight powers. CAW has charged that the MPN contract modifications were made outside the required public rulemaking process. The group said they are considering administrative, legislative, and judicial remedies that might be available. The workers' compensation insurer met July 7th with state officials to discuss the insurer's provider network. State fund officials say their MPN is still in place with DWC approval. And in legislative news, Governor Brown signed AB 1263 this month, which adds a section to the insurance code limiting post-employment activities by the directors and officers of the State Compensation Insurance Fund. Currently, law prohibits specified state fund employees, officers, and consultants from engaging in specified activities for the purpose of influencing administrative or legislative action for one year after leaving office or employment. The new law would prohibit the members of the fund's board of directors and fund officers appointed by the board from lobbying the fund for two years after leaving the fund. The bill would also require that any consulting for the fund by former members of the fund's board of directors and former fund officers be approved by the board. According to the legislative analysis, state fund management has come under increased scrutiny over the last few years. During a criminal investigation, some board members and officers were relieved of their duties. 
However, after several years of reviewing the evidence, it was announced earlier this year that those investigations were being terminated without any charges being filed. Some concerns were expressed in the report that certain state fund officers and board members were obtaining personal benefit through so-called safety groups that had contractual relationships with the fund. Over 100 recommendations were made by a special auditor retained by the Department of Insurance. The legislature, after reviewing the auditor's recommendations, passed legislation designed to put the state fund on a sound footing to move forward. A House committee has advanced legislation updating the workers' compensation program for federal employees. The United States House Committee on Education and the Workforce passed the Federal Workers' Compensation Modernization and Improvement Act, H.R. 2465, with unanimous support. The Workers' Compensation Program established by the Federal Employees' Compensation Act is operated by the Department of Labor and covers about 3 million federal employees. During the last fiscal year, beneficiaries received nearly $3 billion in compensation. Lawmakers said the program has not been significantly updated in almost 40 years, resulting in a number of weaknesses and inefficiencies. Supporters said the bill will reform the federal workers' compensation program by encouraging best practices in medical treatment and developments, granting greater authority to the Department of Labor to verify the earnings of workers using social security records, and modernizing the benefits federal workers receive. The committee has also asked the Government Accountability Office for guidance on other reforms it believes would improve the program. The GAO is currently investigating the program for fraud and abuse. GAO said that fraud schemes might include a beneficiary working a second job or overstating their workers' compensation claim or collecting benefits for a deceased individual. Earlier this year, Senator Susan Collins called for a thorough review of the program that she says is paying benefits to 49,000 people, some of them who are well into retirement age. And in regulatory news, the California Department of Insurance has finalized a comprehensive plan of rehabilitation for Majestic Insurance Company. A series of transactions have now transferred all of Majestic's insurance liabilities and certain business obligations to AmTrust Financial Services. The closing of these transactions was the definitive step in providing full protection for all of the injured workers and policyholders covered under Majestic insurance policies. The plan saved more than 80 jobs at the company's California offices that have now become AmTrust employees. Majestic was placed into conservation by the commissioner in April, and on that same day, the insurance commissioner filed a motion to approve his proposed rehabilitation plan, which was approved by the court. Insurance brokers are able to submit all Majestic renewals and new business opportunities to AmTrust insurance carriers. Non-insurance general creditor claims against Majestic have not been assumed by AmTrust. The final steps in the rehabilitation plan will be the establishment of a claims bar date for the submission of such claims. 
And in financial news, Market Scout released its latest monthly financial report showing that indicators point to the beginnings of a market turnaround. National rates for workers' compensation insurance are up 1%, and workers' comp is the only coverage with an actual rate increase in June. Officials claim that workers' compensation insurance might be leading the insurance industry out of the soft market. Market Scout, however, said that there are still some larger issues impacting the line. One large insurer left the monoline workers' comp market, and another is not accepting new business in four states, Colorado, Georgia, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. And in other news, the state of California is looking for ways to reverse the perception that there is a hostile business climate in the Golden State. Officials in states like Florida, Texas, Arizona, and Utah are telling California firms how business-friendly they are in comparison. Experts say companies are disinvesting in California at a rate five times greater than just two years ago. This includes leaving altogether, establishing divisions elsewhere, or opting not to set up shop in California to begin with. One recent example, example PayPal, opened a new customer services and operations center in Chandler, Arizona in February, which created 2,000 jobs in Arizona. The San Jose, California-based technology firm, along with its parent eBay, also added 1,000 jobs in Austin, Texas, and expanded operations in Utah. Kathy Chu, a spokeswoman for eBay, said the move was because these states have business-friendly environments. That is about to change, at least if California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom has anything to say about it. Newsom is developing a plan to address the state's economic weaknesses and build on its strengths. His plan will be unveiled at the end of July. Newsom has been meeting with executives to hear their complaints about doing business here, and he is also studying the best practices of other states. Earlier this year, he visited Texas to learn more about its job creation efforts. Newsom's plan will focus on California's premier industries, including biotechnology, agriculture, and digital media. It also will examine how to address executives' concerns about regulation, taxes, and layers of bureaucracy. Newsom said that later this year, California will set up a new agency that will serve as a focal point for economic development and job creation. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.